0: So uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Private Market Insights. I'm Josh Levine, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Private Market Labs. We are a new platform designed to help buyers of Main Street and lower middle market businesses find deal flow, obtain financing, connect with diligence professionals, and then operate their new acquisitions. This is the fifth installment of our conversation series designed to provide tactical support to people interested in a small business M&A ecosystem. Today, we'll be talking with Jackie Balak. She is the founder and president of Anchor Solutions Consulting, which provides fantastic HR support to small business owners. Jackie and I have talked a few times, and um, I'm sure she's going to provide fantastic intelligence and uh, information to everyone today. Um, HR is an extremely important part of the M&A process, but can sometimes be overlooked by buyers of small businesses, and we are here to help remedy that today. So uh, with that, I am happy to introduce Jackie.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here today chatting with all of you and just sharing some of my background and experience. Um, just a little bit about Anchor Solutions. We are in HR consulting business, so um, I specialize in what you need. That's the basic way to put it. And I want to make sure you get what it is that you need to help make your people policies and practices a success in your business for whatever that looks like for your business. Um, I have a pretty different background. I have some experience in manufacturing, in healthcare, professional services, and then construction, um, which I think lends a very unique perspective and provides me a vast array of what organizations are doing. Um, While I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, a little bit more about my background is that I come from a family-owned small business myself. Uh, We've been around for over 100 years. So what I think makes that very special about me is that my mentality is a little different than most. Um, At a very small age, I was exposed to making tough decisions that impact people's lives. And I was provided insight into the stress of being a business owner and what they encounter on a daily basis. And oftentimes leading during challenging times. So this experience provides me just greater insights into the business owner's perspective and also a little empathy, which sometimes I don't think business owners get. Um, I can remember as a a kid, my father would come home and talk about challenges after challenges he faced Mm. with employee relations situations. And now at this point in my life, I didn't even know that was human resources then But I can remember sitting there thinking, gosh, I can't wait to see how he solves it. What's he going to do next? And it wasn't until um, so much later in my life that I finally made the connection that HR was the right place for me. Um, So those moments were pointed with stress and worry from my father's perspective, because he was obviously concerned about treating people fairly and maintaining a line with management while obviously having to make decisions with people's lives. But for me at the time, it was like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right? So my point to all of this with my background is that sometimes that sounding board for a business owner is just knowing that you have people to rely on, to talk to about the situation, and having somebody understand the perspective and the stress that you go through on a day-to-day basis while you're making tough decisions. Um So hopefully that's the lens that I bring to some of you when we talk. But most of my clients today, they are all over the place with their needs. So some are in the starting stages of building a business from scratch. And so they really need help with their organizational design. And some are established and they're like, hey, we're a nonprofit. We don't have a ton of money, but I need to really develop certain areas of my business. Um, So they might need performance management systems, or they might have just been in the growth stage and hit that point where they have to have FMLA compliance. So I can come in and do FMLA with them and get their managers up and running and make sure their departments are trained. Um, And lately, it seems like I've just been doing a lot of handbooks. (laughs) (laughs) Not my favorite thing to do, but it seems to be what's happening these days. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Well,
1: so hopefully that provides a little insight on me, Josh.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic introduction, and um, you know, we're obviously we're thrilled to have you, and um, that really lays the groundwork for for some of the questions that I'd love to ask you today, and then um, obviously we'll have some time at the end for questions from the audience as well. But um, you know, really curious, you know, particularly when you're working with businesses that have been around for a while um you know what are some of the things that people typically ask you for in that space so you know when we're working with buyers of small businesses oftentimes they'll be purchasing a business that has been around for 20 30 years has positive cash flow has long-standing employees but you know there are still lots of HR challenges, particularly with a big ownership transition. So when people are reaching out to you with sort of an, a longstanding business, you know, what are some of the typical things you see people needing help with?
1: Yeah, I mean, it really varies, just kind of depending. Um, but it seems like when you have a small business, it. HR is often overlooked. Mm -hmm. Um, Your culture is already ingrained in the day-to-day because, you know, 30 years ago when you started it, culture wasn't this big thing we all focused on, right? Now it's a thing. So when you start a business, you really need to make sure that's ingrained in everything that you do. So your culture was just built inherently over time without even knowing it. Um, And so that's often what happens with practices and policies and other things that you've done. And the world has also evolved from a legal Mm -hmm. perspective. So sometimes we have scenarios where, you know, the organizations just might not have realized, hey, I've been paying this person as a 1099 this entire time, but really they should be an employee. Or, hey, I've been paying this person as an hourly folk, and maybe they should be a salaried person, a non-exempt status versus exempt status. Um, So sometimes it can just be, these are the ways we've always done it, and we just didn't realize we had to make changes to come through. Um, So it can be simple things like that, or they could start to be saying, gosh, we're really having problems with our employee relation issues, and it seems like we're all just confused on how to handle them and how to get them under control. And sometimes... That can be an easy fix where you have a quick class of managers to say, these are the things I want you to start on when these things happen. Here's X, Y, and Z that you can do. And then when you get to a decision point, this is when you need to escalate. So sometimes they just need basic guidance to get them through. And other times your culture has gone to a point where you really need to look at the folks that are on your team. Are they doing what they need? Do you need an in more depth look at, you know, the skills and the performance that they've had? And do you need to track their performance? Do we need to have some tough conversations? Um, so a lot of the times when organizations are coming, sometimes it's the bigger pieces, like they want to work on the performance management system. Mm-hmm. They really want to start tracking it. They want to be able to tie it out. They want to be able to move people out that aren't performing. And they want to make sure they keep and retain the people who are. Um, and then sometimes it's just as simple as having handbooks so people know what to follow. <laughs> yep.
0: No, absolutely. And you know, your point about culture is is a really interesting one. Um, you know, one piece of feedback I hear sometimes from people who are you know really experienced leaders in this space is they'll say, you know, hey, if you're not creating and setting a culture as a leader, that culture will be set for you. And so, um, you know, I'm curious. You know, when you say kind of digging in on on the culture piece and and helping form that culture, you know, what are some things that a a leader can do in order to both kind of identify what the culture of their organization is right now, and then also shape it to to be a more positive place for people to work going forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, culture is so critical these days, because if you haven't been listening to the news, it's what people want, right? Sure. I mean, the top things that are going on in folks' lives and why they're leaving organizations is because they don't think it's a right fit for their values personally. And it's such a big deal. And if you're not listening to what's going on in the world right now and taking a step to try and rectify that, then gosh, you know, that's the place to start. And part of that is when you, you need to sit down with maybe some of your key folks and have an honest conversation to say, how do we live and breathe our work here? You know, what is it that our people are doing on an everyday basis? How are they treating our customers? How do we treat ourselves? You know, and it's basic stuff sometimes. It's like, do are people happy to help each other out? Or are they very siloed in their department right. and they're not willing to work, you know? So sit down and really talk about that and have that open dialogue to say, here's where we currently are. And then you want to say to yourself, is this who we really want to be? Is this who we want the rest of the market to know about us? Right. Because when you go to market for talent, that's what they're looking at. You know, and you can say all day long, you know, the the posts and stuff that are out there on the different job board sites aren't super important, but they are because people are still reading them. Mm -hmm. And that paints a picture of your culture inside. So that might be another area for you to say, let me take a step back. Let's look what online says about me and says about my business. And then maybe we need to start there as a a way to move forward. And then what I would tell you is that if you don't have defined values, uh, that's second to none right there. You need to define your organizational values. You don't need more than five, seven at max if you're real serious about it, but they should be very they should 110% be lived and breathed in your hallways. That was one thing about an organization I worked for um, years ago. I could genuinely say that when I walked down the hall, I could pick out a value out of every single person within seconds um, because it was just ingrained in their culture. Um, And it's noticeable and it carries through and it, and it breeds. So start there, make sure your values are aligned and that they're identified Um, I always um, coach my folks. I've got two organizations I'm doing it with right now. I call them a VBO, values, behaviors, outcome Mm -hmm. And so you identify your values and then you identify what those behaviors are when somebody's exhibiting that value. And then it goes one step further to say, when you exhibit that behavior, you will achieve X outcome. Yeah. Um, And it paints that picture, for everything you do, for value-based coaching, for your performance conversations, they're all there 110%, and they can all tie back to those values right there.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And to be able to see values as you're sort of walking through the halls, that's such a sign of a healthy organization. Um, and, and you know, speaking about kind of taking a look at an organization's culture and how it functions, um, you know that kind of leads into this next question that I wanted to ask. So that we're we're flowing really nicely here. Um, <laughs> uh, buyers of small businesses often go through a really lengthy due diligence process uh, as they're evaluating if they want to buy a business. Um, and you know, so they'll go under LOI, they'll um, start digging in, they'll pop the hood, they'll see how an organization is functioning. Um, you know, what are some of the things that a buyer should be looking for from an HR perspective? So, what are some things that would constitute red flags if you're kind of new in an organization and you're trying to evaluate whether it is in good shape from an HR perspective? What are some things that um, you would look for and that you would advise people to be looking for during that process?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be a little long-winded on this one. That's so that's okay. It. No, that's
0: great. Cause <laughs> cause really it's about providing the information to the people. So I, I appreciate yeah. it. Let's 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 dig in.
1: Okay. So I, I think I wanna start by saying I actually saw this um stat and I thought it was pretty interesting. But Sherm, which is a society for human resource management, said that there's an estimated 70 to 90% of all M&As that fail to achieve their anticipated strategic and a financial objective. And what they're saying is, is that the rate of failure is attributed to different uh, and various HR factors, mm. such as like cultures and management styles and poor motivation and loss of talent or communication issues, diminished trust and uncertainty in the goals. And so as you go through the beginning stages of an M&A process, you'll, and I'm not a financial expert, but uh, they'll likely ask you to provide some basic financial information. Like, for example, you might be asked to apply, um, supply a normalized EBITDA, right. um, you know, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. And the idea behind that is that you're removing sort of those anomalies, like a lawsuit or legal fees that are not necessarily part of your everyday business, right? So if you look at the trend over a five-year period, you might have a good or bad story to tell, right? And so that EBITDA, regardless of the good or bad, directly impacts the success or loss within those years. And so you, you kind of need to know that story. And for some of us, that story includes two years of COVID, right? Right. So you have like PPP money coming in and then you have it coming out. And so were you able to sustain your current labor through COVID? Did you have layoffs? Did you have less jobs? Did you have more jobs? I know one organization in particular has a no layoff philosophy. So if you had a no layoff philosophy and you went through COVID and your sales were down, it's not going to look so good for you, right? Sure. But you have a story to tell behind that money and behind those um, data points. And so you need to make sure that those stories are told correctly. And I guess I'm going to say this correct this way. At the heart of those stories are your people. So, it, what I guess I'm trying to get at here is it's important to make sure you have all the right resources up front when you're going through this process. So sometimes when we talked earlier, HR is often missed at that table and we're overlooked as a key component. And we might not be there in the beginning stages, meaning like stage one, when we're you know talking about identifying the buyers or securing third-party services all around. But when we start preparing and we're start getting that financial data together, HR should really be at that table because during that time of due diligence, The information about talent and culture, along with other assessments of employee benefit plans, liabilities, I mean, comp structures, contracts, legal exposures, are all part of that conversation. And so your HR folks are your boots on the ground that help paint that picture for the business. Your HR folks are the ones that know your culture better than anyone. They know that how well the teams are running, which departments need help. Your HR team knows the workforce strengths and weaknesses, who's in the right seat and who isn't. They'll have a great understanding of information and how to help paint that story. And just an example, or in addition to, when discussing the merger of two organizations, not only are you talking about the workforce, like I said, but you're talking about all those other pieces that come in, policy, processes, workflows, and other functional alignments that need to be understood to make assessments. So from a constituting red flag, I would say, I think, I think we need to remember this is similar to buying a house, right? So the first step is that strategy planning, why and what are we buying? And the second, and that's your house hunting. And then your market, you're going out to look for what you want. And then when you get to the due diligence stage, this is similar to that home inspection. Mm-hmm. The idea is trying to find what's behind the walls. So at this stage, that's your finance, your operations, your compliance, your leadership, your culture, your HR function, right? So you're really digging in. So if you have lawsuits, Department of Labor violations, grievances from the union halls, if there's a history of those items, they're going to be exposed.
0: Yeah, and, and of
1: course, go ahead. Oh,
0: I was going to say, I I think you know the way you're describing it is really interesting because you know we're all you know when we're looking at a business, for example, right, we'll often have adjusted EBITDA numbers and we'll be able to look through the financial statements. But the way you're sort of thinking about, hey, you know, the connective tissue between the story of the business and the business's financial results, that story is, the connective tissue is HR, right? It's, you know, what are your policies? What are your processes? How are you treating your people? What is their day-to-day experience? And those are the... Elements that are expressed in the numbers. And so HR is really about, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you're saying basically that it's teasing out those elements from the numbers and making those numbers make sense. You can tell that story. It's not just numbers on a page. They're three-dimensional and they have to do with people
1: right and of course if you're talking to you know the the buyers they want to know what that financial story is right no one wants to go in and buy negative equity on a house or a car right but at the same time there could be a logical reasoning for why there are certain things the way they are you know and and a lot of that comes from the background of the company that's not going to be known in those numbers just by looking at that And I bet you'd probably do yourself some justice when you're having those conversations, because let's be honest, this doesn't go without conversation, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to meet the buyer. You're going to meet the other people at some point in time. And at least I would absolutely want to meet these folks. And I'd be looking at the paper going, tell me your story. How did we get here? You know, let's say, for example, you've been in business for 20 years. That's success. You know, what, what brought you to 20 years? And obviously they're looking at your business for a reason. And so that's the other thing that I think is really important is what do they want your business for? Mm-hmm. You know, is it an asset allocation or is it truly that they need your brand and your name and the location that you happen to be in? So what's important to them will help you maybe guide that story from not just the numbers, but to the people and to the whole nine yards of your business.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. That that's fantastic and and that makes that makes perfect sense um and sort of continuing to kind of tell that story, right? So, you know, let's say, you know, you're advising a buyer of a small business and, you know, the acquisition has gone through, there's a new buyer in town, they're they're starting to implement their vision for the business of the future. You know, what are some of the HR issues that a new business owner should be thinking about first when they're stepping into that ownership role? What would you advise people address uh from day one?
1: Gosh, there are so many things, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: let's let's start with like a, a top three maybe or something. Like <laughs>
1: Guys, I know it's like, this is so big, but I I really have to say that if you as a business owner aren't caring about the people as your number one thing, when you walk in that door, after you sign the paper, when the ink dries, we've got problems, Yeah, right? From a change management perspective, you need to remember there are people on the other side of that ink and those people may or may not even know about the ink drying. And so the story becomes, what are you doing to work with those folks to ease their minds? Because some of them are going to go off the rails. It's kind of like if you say nothing, they're going to create their own stories in their minds, right? And then you've got this narrative that you have to unwind within a business you haven't even stepped foot in. So it really becomes important that You understand as an owner how those people are feeling and what they're feeling and what the intention is. Now, let's be real, right? Not everything is going to end up being perfect. Not everybody is going to be able to save their jobs. Not everybody is going to end up in a perfect, happy harmony, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, being able to be transparent to some degree about what comes next or what needs to be thought about is going to be critically important. So that comes down to your communication to your people. Gotcha. And I think it's just really important that that gets taken care of right away. Um, You know, making sure your management team is focused on the right things. you know, communicating clearly and regularly at all levels of the business. And that talent, attention, and attraction, it's going to become a priority, right? You're going to lose people because they're going to be scared they're going to lose their jobs anyway. So they're going to bolt before you even get a chance. Um, And they just bring a lot of anxiety. So while the business owner is super excited about the next step in their life, it's great to think about what do the rest of the folks being acquired in that company think of what's happening and how do you help? alleviate some of those stresses that they themselves may be going through.
0: Yeah. Um, So let's, let's, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. Keep going. I was going
0: to say, so let's, let's put ourselves in the shoes of that new business owner, right? We've come in, we've communicated to the best of our ability. We've shared our vision. We've had a couple of all hands on deck meetings. We've had a listening tour, right? We're doing all the right things from like a procedures perspective. So obviously there's kind of like a front of, front of the house, back of the house element to this. So we're talking about like the front of the house is like, Hey, can we, let's be the leader that we need to be. Let's talk to those employees. Let's build that culture. Let's make sure everyone is rowing in the same direction. And then kind of like when I think about like back of the house kind of issues, I'm thinking about, you know, what are the types of like HR related policies, whether it's, Oh, we need to do an audit of the of benefits, or we need to figure out you know something about hiring, or maybe it's you know how are the policies with our employees reflecting the values that we're putting out in public, and do we need to make any changes? Like, are there anything any sort of back of the house like structural things that a new owner should be thinking about as well?
1: Yeah, one hundred and ten percent. I would say you're going to want to start looking at you know the let's just talk about the more. I'll- Categorize it as like a service delivery, right? Mm-hmm. So, what's your current headcount look like? What does the workforce look like from a structural perspective? Um, and this is not telling anybody about you know that you're looking at it, but just saying let's get our bearings straight of who's in the in the seats. Period. Um, How is payroll going? Are you managing those things appropriately? Are people classified correctly? Um, Do you have any overtime violations that could cause you some serious, hopefully those things have been found maybe during the due diligence, but now you're really in the nitty gritty, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about their systems and you're in the systems and you own the systems now. So do you want to merge the systems that you already have from a previous company or are you keeping them separate? Um, You know, I think from a total rewards perspective, there's an alignment piece to compensation. You know, will you want to merge the compensation structures together and what will that do to people in their current pay grades and how will that affect them long term? Will you keep a grandfathered perspective for some until they work their ways out or are you going to adjust them all together? Interesting. I think you have a benefits perspective. Um, what benefits is their organization currently offering? You know, if you merge two organizations, do you keep them separate? Do you bring all the new employees onto your old? Or now that you have more employees, you might be able to get better benefits. So do you want to go all new for the whole for the whole thing? There's a lot of um, things that are often overlooked, and these are the things that almost need to be talked about and have some general idea of what approach you want to take. They're not all going to be solved right away, Mm -hmm. but even think about your time off plans, right? They're probably dramatically different. So at what point are you going to want to merge them together so everybody's on the same time off plan? Um, And then you have equity considerations, right? So anytime there's a merger of two businesses, You have to look at the environment that they're in. Are they in different localities that could cause that problem? Was one just mismanaged and, you know, you found that women are underpaid and you need to get them paid a little bit more, right? right? All of those things are going to come into play for business owners. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, you have so much more, right? I mean, there's policy. These businesses either have a policy in place, like a handbook, or maybe they don't, and they have practices, which is kind of just always been what they've done. So now you're going to implement a handbook. So how is that going to be received, and how are people going to handle that? Yeah. And what are you going to do to manage that? That's very different of a environment for that, right?
0: So from like, so I guess this is, and I've thought about this even, you know, because. You know, Titus and I are, are small, Are small. you know, owners of a small growing business with private market labs. Hopefully it's not going to be small for too long, but, you know, we're still, you know, thinking about these things every single day. And so one thing that comes to mind is this idea of, you know, I'm stepping into that role every day and saying, I want to do a really good job. I want to do right by our employees and I want to create a culture that is really positive and an organizational structure that's really positive. And yet... You know, I think it can be sometimes a challenge to say, okay, that willingness is there, and the question is, you know, what are are there any sort of concrete steps that a, you know, from an implementation perspective? So I could go around and say, well, what are what are the things that these that employees would want them would want most, and you know, what can I do to maximize their performance? But are there any sort of you know really best practices from the either from the theory or from the tactics where it's like, hey, if you're you know, maybe you haven't implemented an HR system before, what should you be sort of saying, hey, baseline, here are three things that, you know, I'm putting together a handbook. I want the handbook to say this kind of stuff, you know, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a super loaded question. Yeah, no, uh, I,
0: I, I'm not trying to, 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 to lead you along. I'm just, I'm sort of thinking about, uh, you know, some of these challenges that I think people might be facing. So, I mean, you can interpret that however you'd like.
1: Yeah, I think it's just going to come down to the uniqueness of what you purchased, right? And the unique situation that that particular organization is sitting in, which is probably what's going to drive your first action, right? Um, But if we go back to that whole perspective of my comment earlier about why they fail, And they talk a lot about some what I would consider basics, Hmm. right? I, I guess that's where I think most things come down to is the basics. They talked about, you know, incompatible cultures, management styles, poor motivation, loss of key talent, right? So if you took a look at those being more of your basic concepts to start with, you know, making sure your management team's on the same page, that you all have the same, not leadership style, but alignment to the goals and that you're going towards those goals and that you're communicating and you're building that trust. I think those are going to be the places that you can say 110%, that's where you need to start. I know that's not like super specific, but I, I just don't know that I could tell you it's like, if you have this, you could go down this road. Gotcha. Um, you know, you might want to find avenues to communicate with your folks. So that might mean surveying them. That might mean having um, like, I guess you could call them like lunches with them, like skip level lunches. So you can hear what it is that they're actually saying um, without fear that their manager is in the room. Um, and really get a sense of what's important to them to be able to say how you want to proceed as well. And and some of this, right, let's just be real, is all going to be based on the amount of money the organization has to course correct or to move it forward in the way that they want, right? Definitely. Because we, we might want to change business pl- or benefit plans, but we might not have the available cash to do that right away right? So that might become something that happens in a second phase and everything stays as is.
0: Definitely. And so, um, and we're going to open it up to questions here in a minute, but, um, you know, speaking of sort of budget and things like that, you know, obviously we talked about communicating really well and working with, working with your employees in a direct and specific way. And, you know, it's setting the culture. Are there any sort of particular areas of HR that are very high ROI? So, if, you know, a business owner has a limited budget to start. You know, let's say they just took on an SBA loan. They're worried about debt service. They need to implement new policies over time. You know, what are some of the like other super high ROI things that someone could be thinking about from a budget perspective early on in their in their process?
1: Well, listen to me. the 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 way I think about this is that. If your employees are performing and engaged, it's going to pay you back twofold, right? So there's thousands and thousands upon research about how engaged employees are higher performers and it creates 25% higher profits. So a lot of the times business owners will focus on that customer satisfaction or that customer happiness, right? Or, or however you want to put it mm-hmm. but i would ask business owners to start flipping their mindset to talking about employee engagement and making that your 110% effort going forward because when you have high employee engagement you get that productivity and you get that higher profit Interesting. and so i would think about it from that perspective and and take it one step further when you have the engagement you have the higher profit you naturally are going to get your customer satisfaction. So if you, if you just take out the fact that, you know, it's not that customer satisfaction is important. It's not that we don't want to focus on it. We 110% do, but we don't want to take it out in place of focusing on the employee, people who are in their living and breathing every day doing the job, because if they're happy and then your customers are going to be happy. Yeah. So I would tell folks to kind of reverse their thinking a little bit and find ways to measure performance. Because if you can measure performance and how people are doing and that productivity is going well and their engagement is there, you will have all the everything else will follow.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a fascinating insight. I I really like that and it's really about You know, uh, an employee that is engaged and is empowered to serve the customer in, you know, a creative way, in a way that they feel like they're able to do their best work, the customer is going to see that benefit as well. So I I, I like that a lot. Um, You know, let's open the the, let's open this up to a couple. Has any questions? I apologize. That was my mother in law calling me. I don't know if you heard my phone ringing, but um, (laughs) if anyone has any questions uh for jackie please uh please uh request to speak, and I will open the floor,
1: yeah and Josh, you're doing such great work with private market labs I'm really impressed with what you're doing and all the the stuff you guys got going on here and I appreciate in the same time uh you having me here to to chat with everybody oh
0: of course i mean this is this is fantastic, and it's you know this is this is the most fun stuff right getting to to speak with experts and getting to engage a community, um, so th- this is this is among the most fun things uh, I get to do as a as a leader in a in an organization. Um, while we're waiting for questions, you know, let's let's see. Um, do you have any you know interesting stories you'd like to share? So you know, particularly you know, you don't have to name names, but any particular tricky organiza- tricky organizations you've worked with, or or things like that. And then uh, Jared, I see your question. We'll get that in one second.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I have any, like, tricky organizations, but I suppose I could share more of a story um, about, like, an employee relation issue that's gone on in the world of HR, and I think sometimes, you know, for those who are, I'm, I'm not going to get unpc pc here, but, you know, it's interesting the things that you can't make up in this world, right? Um, but this was not a client of mine, but they were interviewing a candidate. Um, and after the interview, the person walked out into the bushes, dropped their pants and hit a bowel movement, Ooh. got up, got in their car and left. I mean, like, the, so you you think about all the crazy things you could possibly see in the world and then something like that happens and you have to take a pause back and have a sense of humor and laugh <laughs> a little bit, right? Like, the person clearly didn't get hired. <laughs>
0: no, nothing else you can do at that point besides just laugh and, and maybe tighten your hiring criteria
1: (laughs) like what in the world that just happened but like that's a real life story right and it's crazy to think that those are the things that are going on in the world that we as hr professionals have to deal with but i always think it's interesting to share something like that because most times you think about oh they're not they're not performing so you need to improve their performance but now you get some real good ones like this too
0: that's wild (laughs) Um, we have a question we have a question from Jared so uh, please go ahead once you're uh, able to speak you can unmute
2: oh yeah can you hear me yeah okay great sorry almost uh, it was a great story I almost forgot my question <laughs> um, so two questions uh, the first one was you mentioned um, you're getting reached out by you know businesses have been around versus startups I would like to kind of know more like is or is it more from startup perspective that you're getting up, uh, business opportunities for yourself, for your business, or is it more on the uh, more established businesses? And then the second question is uh, do you do um, work in California? And uh, if so, you know, what, what type of challenges have you seen in California? As you may or may not know, it can be a very hard <laughs> State to work in uh, from an HR perspective.
1: I assume your business is in California, Jared. Uh,
2: yes, sort of. So I am. A, I'm an SBA lender, um, but I'm also uh, an entrepreneur um, on a search for myself to acquire a business. Yeah, so
1: very good. Yeah, so um, it's really my business has, and and part of you may have seen like. Twitter is new to me. I haven't really um, done a lot of social media stuff because most of my businesses are word of mouth, um, which I'm very grateful for, right? So that is, to me, perfect. Um, so I have a mix of clients between nonprofits and for-profits. And I have one client in particular that we're just getting kicked off off the ground. They're starting a business. It opens in August. So we are full on organizational design and planning um, from the top down. They will not have enough folks um, to hire a full-time HR person, which is typically the seat that I sit in. Um, I come in. I help you with your projects. I get you off the ground. And we really talk about what works for you as the client. And I tell people all the time, I'm going to quote you the golden egg, but I recognize that you may not be able to afford the golden egg based on where you are with your business. So let's talk about things that you could do, that I could review, that could cut costs, things that are really critical to you, that you really want to do, that you're like, gosh, we really need to get this off the ground. So let's move forward and let's find a way to make that happen. Um so I again I think that's one of the business models that just makes me a little bit different than most folks. Um and I do have other more established businesses that t- typically tends to be uh the area of where uh my business comes from. Um they just need a little help. They they don't they can't afford an HR person full time. They just have a few projects they want to get off the ground each year. Um and so they'll come in um ask me to help them get them started. And then we'll we'll go from there. And then I have dabbled in some work in California. Oh, that one is that one is fun. Yeah. Um currently I'm working with um an organization that has one person in California. Um and in particular uh has some leave situations we're going through. So it's been fun to kind of maneuver some of that. <laughs>
2: Good, good. Well, thank you so much. It's good to have you as a resource.
1: Yeah, down the road. Nice to meet you, Jared.
2: You as
0: well. Um, Any other questions for Jackie? And if not, I think we'll we'll start wrapping up. Jackie, thank you so much for being here. This has been fantastic, and um, you know this uh, recording is going to be up on Twitter for about. Uh, for a couple of weeks after this conversation is done. But then it'll also be available in podcast form on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube, um, and really anywhere where you're going to get your podcasts, you can find us there. Uh, We are Private Market Labs. This is the Private Market Insights series. Thank you so much, Jackie.